0: We'll hear argument now, number 92, 357, Ruth O'Shaw versus Janet Reno. Uh, Mr. Everett.
1: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. As our complaint seeks to make clear, this case poses the basic issue of how far a legislature may go in seeking to guarantee election to Congress of persons of a particular race. Perhaps the best evidence is here in the form of the map, which is a reproduction in color of a map which is earlier lodged with the court at page 133A of the jurisdictional statement in Pope v. Blue, and there are a number of copies of that which I believe are before the court. We proceed in a sense on in the theory that while we are reluctant to use political pornography, and this has been described as political pornography, but really the only way to understand what took place in North Carolina is to look at the evidence thereof. Now our complaint seeks briefly to set forth the history of the developments in, in our state. Basically, the Attorney General in the summer of 1991 and in the fall, made clear that it was necessary to have two majority-minority districts. Are you talking about the United States Attorney General? Yes, sir. Yes, Your Honor. Uh, indeed, it was Attorney General uh, uh, William Barr at that particular time. Uh, federal statute. He was relying on the Voting Rights Act. This was apparently An interpretation of the Voting Rights Act, which as we understand some of the recent opinions of the court, was erroneous, Uh, at least that's the way we interpret the Grau case and the uh, Voinovich case. But in any event, he set forth preconditions. Basically, as we allege in the complaint, the precondition for clearing, for pre-clearing the North Carolina plan was that there be two seats which would be guaranteed for election of African Americans to the Congress of the United States. So that here, in a sense, we oppose the issue of legal segregation of the Congressional delegation of North Carolina. Now, North Carolina is a state where the the minority population is relatively dispersed. Indeed, we have also lodged with the court various data pertaining to the dispersion of the population throughout the hundred counties of the state. Most of the black population is concentrated in the East and in the Piedmont. That is to say, along the coast and in the center of the state. Interestingly, there are only five counties in the state, and those with one exception, and that's not a major exception, are relatively small counties. Only five counties in which there is a majority of black persons, and as a result, after the first plan was submitted to the Attorney General... There are only five counties in which there's a majority of white persons? That a, a black person. black person? Yes, yes, I was the Chief Justice. And interestingly, those are counties of relatively small population in the northeastern part of the state. There's one county which I would say is mid-sized. So as a result of that, the only way basically to achieve this objective of having two majority-minority districts, and indeed these are supermajority-minority districts because it's not 51 percent There's some margin for error, not 65 percent as in the UJO case, but moving up into the mid-50s. The only way to achieve that was to violate every one of the principles of redistricting and reapportionment which have heretofore been accepted by the court, or at least as we understand it, which have been accepted by the court. We harken back to Reynolds v. Sims, where there was a reference to a pattern of crazy quilts which in and of itself would be sufficient to invalidate the constitutionality of the reapportionment. We harken back to UJO itself, where in one of the opinions, I believe it was the
2: uh, opinion of Justice White, there is a reference. Could I I interrupt you? You say that the the, um, district violates all the principles that have been established in the cases. Well, it doesn't violate the one person, one vote principle, does it?
1: It violates violates every principle except the principle of giving a majority to to pre-selecting a person How how about about the one
2: person, person. one vote principle? It does not violate the one person, one vote. That's correct. And tell me, what principle does it violate? Well, it violates principles of compactness. But are they constitutional principles?
1: We would submit that compactness and seeking a community of interest is a constitutional principle and that at least put it this way, Your Honor, that it is not permissible to disregard everything else for the sole
2: purpose of targeting that the seat will have a person of a particular race. Is the, when you say everything else, do you include anything other than compactness in the concept of everything else? Well, I include contiguousness. I include. Well, but this district is entirely contiguous, isn't it?
1: Well, they're contiguous uh, in a very marginal sense of the word. I think, but it that, is entirely contiguous, isn't it? Uh, contiguous. Uh, I think, actually, Your Honour. One of the districts is cut in the middle by District 12, but we would we would view contiguousness as meaning more than a contact at a point. So that we would suggest that if there is any significance to contiguousness other than, say, a point, uh, one point where there is an infinitesimal contact, it violates contiguousness. Certainly, compactness it violates, no matter what the test is. Community of interest it violates. Take the uh, 12th district, which is the one that has received quite a bit of attention, and which stretches from Durham, my hometown, to Gastonia. It snakes along Interstate I-85. It's described by Judge Voorhees and his dissent in the lower court. It snakes along. Uh, at some points, it is no wider than I-85. In fact, at some points, it's no wider than two lanes of I-85. You can go from one side of the highway to another and you go from one district to another. Well,
3: Mr.
4: Everett, I guess this Court summarily affirmed in a previous case that came before us uh, raising just these points.
1: Well, Your Honor, we think that we came at it from an entirely different viewpoint. That was, a, that was a case in which the assertion was predicated on political gerrymandering. There was no assertion that this was done for the sole purpose of targeting two seats for persons of a particular race. That, we think, is the fatal flaw. Uh, we think that perhaps the issue of compactness uh, could have been raised differently in that case and uh, there might have been some constitutional issues before you, but what we're saying is that even in search of diversity in the Congress, the legislature of North Carolina and the Attorney General can go only so far. that They cannot go as far as they went in this particular instance. Indeed, well, that brings
5: us back to the point Justice Stevens was uh, beginning to discuss with you. Isn't a state free to reject the idea of compactness if it chooses?
1: We would, we would think there are some limitations even on how far the state can go in rejecting the principle of compactness. Uh, we certainly would, would say this in answer to your question, that perhaps they can reject compactness but not do so in the context of seeking to assure the election of a person of a particular race, whatever that
0: race may be. Well, isn't that your basic point, Mr. Everett, that that sort of, uh, in, a, in tatter motivation on the part of the legislature, is subject to strict scrutiny? Exactly. Exactly. So that, so that
6: your argument really isn't it does not rest, I take it, at any point on the fact that any of these other principles have been mandated, either by the authority of this court or by by any other authority that we would have to recognize. Your case really rests simply on the on the motivation by which this particular configuration supposedly was, was justified.
1: That's the, key, that's the key to it, uh, Justice Souter, that it rests on the motivation. In a sense, the distortions are a reflection of the motivation, and the distortions show what happens once we start down the path to what might be termed Segregating the electoral process, but none of them
6: has independent constitutional significance.
1: We would we would think that is that the the motivation is the independent constitutional grounds for invalidating it. We would we would contend that regardless, uh, it goes beyond strict scrutiny. That any time a motivation of this particular type is that which dominates the legislative purpose, any time the legislature is thinking of choosing, of of drawing boundaries for the specific purpose of assuring that persons of a particular race will be elected, that under those circumstances it's invalid. Now,
7: uh, would you say, let's just assume for the moment that the Voting Rights Act either authorizes exactly what was done here or required what was done here. Uh, you would say then the Voting Rights Act is unconstitutional
1: if, if, it, if it required how because, about
7: authorizes it?
1: Uh, we would say that if it authorized the legislature to act with that intent, and if in fact the legislature acted with that intent, then it would be unconstitutional. Well, um,
7: <clears throat> how much of uh, North Carolina is, uh, is uh, the kind of state that the Voting Rights Act applies to
1: forty counties? There are 40 counties which uh, require pre-clearance.
7: Uh, the remaining counties would not. However, so you don't you don't deny that you, that you had to have pre-pre clearance for for this uh, redistricting.
1: Pre-clearance was required, but as we understand it, pre-clearance does not change the basic rules. Pre-clearance does not mean that factors such as those in uh, Gingles
7: are totally ignored. And you say you say the attorney general was wrong in refusing to pre-clear your original plan.
1: Well, we think he was wrong, and we think he was wrong even at the outset, that he was wrong yes. at an earlier stage yes. in requiring that there be the majority-minority districts. As we understood the opinion uh, in Voinovich, uh, there is nothing in the Voting Rights Act which requires that there be particular types of majority-minority districts. That so This is something that, in a sense, is the primary responsibility of the state so long as the state does not violate other principles in a manner that dilutes the vote. Now, there's been no dilution of the vote in this particular instance. Indeed, it's interesting to look at statistics presented in the brief by
7: the appellee. If, uh, if the Attorney General... Don't we have to decide here whether the Attorney General was... Uh, uh, construction of the Voting Rights Act was uh, uh, right, correct or not?
1: In a sense, you do Well, in a
7: sense, well, it's either yes or no.
1: I'll say yes. I'll say yes, you've got to say we that have
7: to, We have because to decide—and and for you to win, we have to decide that he construed the act wrong.
1: No, I don't think—I would disagree with you on that. I think the preliminary well, 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 point— How does that work? Well, to, to focus on the issue that the court uh, presented, the legislature, after the uh, refusal of preclearance, then went ahead and, with reckless abandon, drew something that apparently was not in line with the suggestions
7: of the Attorney General. So that well, the attorney general suggested that the state needed to have another uh, <coughs> majority-minority district. They did, and uh, and pointed out that it might that one might uh, one might be created in the, what the southeast corner. Of the, in the southeast, yes, southeast corner of the state. But he didn't, does he? But anyway, he did. Re- Before you could get pre-clearance, uh, he thought you had to have another district.
1: Before we could get preclearance, is that right? we had to have two districts. There, had to be, there was one that was there. There had to be another. There had to be two districts yes. which would guarantee the election of a person of a particular race.
0: Mr. Everett, what's, what's the effect of a, the Voting Rights Act by its term where 40 out of 100 counties are, are covered?
1: Well, we would contend that there is a requirement of preclearance, admittedly, but that a plan... Which well, burdens the
0: areas that are not subject to pre-clearance uh, and unduly s- burdens them uh, is. So, s- s- supposing you were to draw a district that was entirely in areas that were not subject to pre-clearance, would, would the Voting Rights Act have anything to do with that? We
1: would say it would not. That it should be separated. Uh, that there would be no nexus between any violation and the purported corrective action.
0: But are, are, are all of the counties which are the subject of this district, which you're complaining about, are they all subject to preclearance? Uh, relatively few of them are, as a matter of fact. So uh, many of the counties in this
1: district are, are not subject to preclearance? A number of them that are in, in the 12th district, which is the one we're particularly focusing on, are not subject to preclearance. For example, Durham County is not subject. And indeed, Durham County is one which in the Thornburg case, in Thornburg v. Gingles, was accepted because the political process was not operating in a way that diluted the minority vote. So uh, we, we have a situation where the precleared is, the preclearance requirement is being used to affect adversely areas which have never been found guilty of any sort of sin. Well, was
7: this, uh, was this, uh, this was a three judge court, wasn't it? It was a three judge court. Was this, uh issue uh brought before it about whether or not uh that 12th district was subject to preclearance at all well we
1: brought up that uh and we've we've consistently taken the position that to manipulate the preclearance requirement for the 40 counties primarily in the northeast uh, as a basis for covering the entire state with a plan which is racially discriminatory at least as we interpret it is on, is beyond the purview of the voting rights we, we took the position in our original complaint, that what was done was not authorized by the Voting Rights Act. But uh, in addition, and more fundamental, we take the position that what was done is not authorized by the U.S. Constitution.
6: Mr. Everett, do I understand your argument here to be that the, um, the, the problem is not race consciousness as such in drawing lines, it's the specificity of the race consciousness in saying, in effect, that there must be a quota of two districts?
1: We, that is basically it. Uh, well,
6: how then do you, how do you draw the line on your theory between what is a permissible use of race consciousness in this kind of districting or redistricting, and and what is impermissible? How is the what is the principle on which that line is drawn?
1: Uh, the principle, to some extent, can be related to uh, factors such as those in the Gingles case, uh, where there is a compactness of a minority group and it's broken aside, broken apart, then we would submit that the Voting Rights Act uh, could authorize race-conscious corrective action. But what we're concerned Well, what
6: about a case like this in which you're, you're not so much breaking apart a, uh, a, a district in which a violation has occurred, you've simply got to come up with another district and, and as a consequence uh, essentially a whole new configuration? Uh, uh, how, how do you would, would would one way to do it on your theory simply be uh, to uh, to avoid a Gingles violation? Would that sort of be your or a, a a violation of the Gingles principles? Would that be your objective to determine what is permissible and what isn't?
1: We think that would at least be one dividing line, uh, that and one that would uh, not permit what has been done here. But I suppose our basic concern is with a state of mind which begins with a proposition that you've got to come out with a certain result that, in a sense, is demeaning the electoral process.
6: What if, what if the Attorney General had suggested in this case uh, uh, not that there should be a second district, uh, minority-majority district, but that it would be uh, uh, permissible to have two, uh, and he would like to know why two had not been proposed? Given the fact that you accept that some race consciousness is is permissible, would that have been impermissible?
1: We think even that goes too far uh, we
6: well the tr- I guess the trouble i 'm having is you, you accept the principle that there can be some race consciousness, but i don 't understand uh, how you are willing to let that principle be applied in a concrete way at every point at which uh, we, we or somebody might suggest well. Uh, taking race into account uh, this might be a permissible way to do it or a second step uh, this is probably the only permissible way to do it. At that point you draw the line. And I don't understand how you can take race into account and draw the line as neatly as you're drawing it. That's where I'm having my trouble.
1: Well, our line is in terms of whether there's something uh, very specifically that was done contrary to the interests of the minority, breaking up a natural uh, uh Community of interest, uh, black community. But there again,
6: we're getting back to, it seems to me, to criteria which you conceded a while ago did not themselves have any independent constitutional significance. And I think you're now coming back to the argument that race, when race is taken into account, although that may be permissible per se, it cannot be taken into account... Uh, in effect without serving a series of other principles like compactness, uh, community, uh, identification and so on. And, and yet you've conceded that these don't have independent constitutional significance. So how do we derive your rule?
1: I think it may be a situation where you look at a number of factors and decide whether the paramount purpose was to achieve
0: a particular result.
4: Mr. If well, you... Mr. Everett?
0: Mr. 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 Uh, I, I thought part of your answer to Justice Souter's question was that race could be taken into consideration if race had previously been taken into consideration in, in an adverse way. That's that you could right that wrong. But uh, I wonder if you're wise in conceding that race should be taken into could be taken into consideration in, in any further extent. Well, I perhaps misspoke myself earlier because I, I was thinking of the corrective situation
1: where something has been done. On racial grounds adverse to a minority group, as for example, breaking apart a community of, of minority persons into two districts and thereby basically diluting the vote, then I think certainly some corrective action could be taken, and the corrective action would take place. Well, racism. Mr. Everett, what,
3: what, I mean, you, you, you say community of communities of interest can be taken into account, but doesn't that necessarily mean that racial, racial groups can be taken into account as well? I mean, if if in fact there's a there's a community that's that's a religious community, a, r- a racial community, or whatever, why can't that be taken into account by intelligent legislators in in uh, in districting? Well, thinking, I, I thought you were making that concession before. I, I'm
1: thinking of a community, a racial community, let's say a neighborhood. Right. Right. But but it's not predicated on the stereotype. That one black... Yes,
3: I, I think what you're objecting to is, is is using race as a stereotype. That's exactly that it. That assuming that all black people will vote for a black representative and therefore drawing a district with, with a certain number of blacks in it, on the assumption that since they're black, they will vote for a black representative. That's using race not for community, but for the the, the stereotypical conclusion that if you are white, you will vote for a white, and if you're black, you'll vote for a black, which is not very good for our society, I assume.
1: Justice Souter, that's exactly it. The assumption here, the stereotype underlying this, is that a black in Durham has more in common with a black in Charlotte than that black does
2: with with a white living across the street. Was well, that any different from an assumption that an Irish Catholic will vote like another Irish Catholic and they're more apt to vote Democratic than Republicans? Eh?
1: Well, it, it, uh, there may be... Uh, and
2: then what is the difference
1: between... There may be uh, communities of interest, but I think that basically our Constitution has set its face against the racial stereotypes. Well, how
2: about re- religious stereotypes? So you assume that all the Jewish people will vote in one particular way, is that... Uh, different from uh, the same assumption about black people. If there were an assumption made of
1: that sort, I think it would well, be. It was in the UJO uh,
2: case, I think. I'm sorry. I, Remember the UJO case, United Jewish Organization case.
1: Uh, in the UJO case, uh, I don't think there was an uh, assumption that the <laughs> aesthetic Jews would all vote as uh, as a community. There was a community of interest in a geographic community, which was set a, set apart. But it was something more than any sort of stereotype that one Hasidic Jew was exactly like another. What about,
2: what about the drawing lines based on registered Republicans as opposed to registered Democrats, making the assumption they'll vote with the party?
1: Well, can I you mean, do that? That's, uh, you can change parties, you can move people, uh, parties can change their position. No, but, but you make a stereotypical
2: fixed. assumption that they won't change for the next election when you draw your lines. Is that really different from from uh, any other kind of group interest?
1: Well, it seems to us that uh, the political gerrymandering has been treated by the court different than the racial gerrymandering. We think that the party lines, the party affiliations are much less fixed. We should note here, by the way, that what we're talking about is something that's being put in place for the rest of this decade, for the next 10 years as a result of the stereotype. And the result of the stereotype is that it's being assumed that one black will vote, Always for another black and should always vote for another black. There's a targeting. There's a, the, the legislature seems to be approving a normative principle.
2: And in fact, we know they don't always vote that way, just as we know that Republicans don't always vote for Republican candidates. Uh,
1: they don't always vote that way, but this is an encouragement to do so. This is a legislative affirmation, basically, that they should do
3: so. Does Voting Rights Act apply to Republicans?
1: Uh, not to the best it, it, of my knowledge. It deals
3: with racial... uh yeah, but uh, we're uh, dealing and with... And it, did, did we fight a civil war about Republicans? Uh, D- does the 13th and 14th Amendment apply to Republicans? I don't
2: think so. You uh, don't think the 14th Amendment applies to Republicans? You think it's okay for the sovereign to discriminate against Republicans? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I suppose there could be limits. Davis v. Vandenberg teaches us that, but uh, as Justice... Uh, as uh, Scalia points out, the, uh, the intent certainly is entirely different
0: in the intent of the Voting Rights Act. And well, uh, we, we've also said in some of our reapportionment cases, haven't we, that legislative lines drawn on the basis of party interests are, are, are not don't violate any constitutional. That has
1: been my uh, assumption from your opinions. Also, uh, rural versus urban—you can you can have interests of that sort, which can be taken into account within the parameters of the one person one-vote uh, uh, line of cases. But uh, the racial distinction, as I understand, is something that a war was fought to get rid of. There are a lot of opinions of this court which in one way or the other have invaded against racial classifications. Uh, we take that very seriously. We take uh, the colorblind Constitution to be more than an idle aspiration, particularly under present conditions. And uh, the court seems to be moving away from Federal supervision and such matters as uh, uh, integration of the schools, the uh, Freeman v. Pitts case, uh, the recent de- decisions uh, dealing with uh, uh, well the Vornovich case and the Grau case seem to indicate a willingness to move things back at the local level. Here we have a situation where a federal official directed that the North Carolina re- redistricting be accomplished to achieve a particular objective for a purpose that was constitutionally invalid, and we submit that relief should be granted and the judgment of the law court should be set aside. Mr.
6: Everett, just just one last point to make sure I understand your principle. You're not resting on the principle of the colorblind Constitution, are you? I mean, you accept, for example, the the Gingles analysis and whatever that is, it isn't colorblind. Uh, I mean, you, you accept that.
1: Well, I think we are still standing on the principle of the colorblind Constitution. In is, do you, you want us to? Up, do we
6: overrule. Do we, do, do we say that, that the possibility of applying a Gingles analysis cannot be anticipated in in redistricting?
1: Well, the Gingles analysis, if it were applied in this particular instance, would not permit the sort of result that was achieved
6: here. But you, you accept. But is it fair to say that you, you accept the principle that? Uh, that redistricting can be uh, can be done on 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 the basis of trying to anticipate the possibility of a Gingles violation, and to avoid it by drawing lines in such a way as to avoid voter dilution. You accept that principle, don't you?
1: I believe we would accept that there can be an effort to avoid any future dilution, okay. uh, so long as it is not done with a view to having a particular person elected of a particular race. That but in
6: any case, that's not a principle of a colorblind constitution, is it?
1: Well, that may not be uh, in one sense, uh, but certainly as we view it, uh, some of the basic concept of uh, ignoring racial stereotypes, that, that we view as essential to the colorblind constitution, and that we think is the, the principle that's been violated here. May I reserve
0: my remaining time? Thank you, Mr. Everett. Uh, Mr. Powell, we'll hear from you.
8: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, this case is about the legal significance of two facts. First, the North Carolina General Assembly intentionally created two majority-minority congressional districts. Second, the General Assembly did so for the purpose of complying with Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act and of securing preclearance of its congressional reapportionment plan from the Attorney General of the United States in their arguments before the district court and in their briefs to this court, the plaintiff's legal contention has been that the first of these allegations, that the state acted intentionally, is an adequate basis on which to make out a constitutional claim. The fatal flaw in the plaintiff's case is that they themselves have affirmatively described what the state's purpose was in so acting, and that purpose was the lawful one of complying with federal voting rights legislation, as interpreted and administered by the responsible federal official.
0: Do you have a position, Mr. Powell, on the application of the Voting Rights Act when only 40 out of 100 counties are subject to it? That
8: question was not, in fact, presented to the district. uh, Do you have a position? We do, Mr.
0: Chief Justice. What is it?
8: And that is that given the distribution of the counties, it was necessary to preclear the entire plan, and that, in fact, the proper focus in uh, this case with a statewide redistricting plan is Statewide.
0: When the oh, state why, dro- why should that be when only 40 counties are subject to pre clearance?
8: As the Attorney General administers the statute, he expects the entire plan to be submitted. That makes pragmatic sense because state legislatures, when they draw up a statewide congressional reapportionment plan, They do it on a statewide basis.
0: But what's the authority for that in the Voting Rights Act, if only 40 counties are covered? I think it's
8: administrative authority, Your Honor. It's the way the Act has been administered and interpreted.
0: So there isn't any authority in the Act itself for that? It's just an administrative authority? I'm not aware of it,
8: Mr. Chief Justice.
6: Well, I just... No, I'm sorry. I I just assumed that as long as any one covered county uh, was going to be affected by the plan, that... Uh, that that would be enough to 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 trigger the the right to review is is, is, is your explanation different from that?
8: No, no, justice Souter, I don't mean it to be. We think that would you would have to submit the statewide plan under those circumstances.
3: I, I'm not sure I understand your um, um, I, I guess it, your good faith defense. Uh, if if the intent is a is a constitutionally invalid intent. Can it be possible that simply because the Justice Department told you you could do it, it is rendered okay? I mean, suppose the Justice Department says it's okay to, uh, uh, to discriminate in, in appointments on the basis of race. It no. happens to be wrong, but, but you, it, if in good faith you fo- follow that, uh, uh, that makes it okay?
8: No, Justice Scalia, that's emphatically not our position.
3: All right. So, so, so you agree that uh, that, uh, that defense is only a valid defense if the Justice Department was correct? that you needed a second-majority-minority district.
8: Our defense is, is applicable if our intent was proper and if our intent would not be proper if the Attorney General instructed the state or attempted to coerce the state into doing something unconstitutional. In this case, the Attorney General's implicit interpretation of the act, embodied in his objection letter, uh, was well within the case law.
3: Well, the, the, it, it may well be, but but... Is it your position that even if it was wrong, so long as you were relying upon that, you are immunized?
8: So long as the state's reliance is reasonable, the state could not rely and then invoke as a defense that reliance on patently unconstitutional requests or demands from the Attorney General. The difference, what makes this case uh, different from the uh, hypothetical you're, you're thinking about...
3: The reliance here, you say, would be a reasonable reliance, whereas in my hypothetical, it wouldn't be. Yes, Your Honor that the Attorney General rested squarely on the Voting Rights Act, and you
7: think that his interpretation was proper of yes, the Voting sir. Rights Act? Yes, sir. And you deny, <clears throat> you deny that later decision, later decisions such as Voinovich renders his interpretation invalid?
8: We do indeed. Of course, Voinovich was a Section 2 decision, and Voinovich made two holdings of uh, tangential relevance to this case. Voinovich applied the traditional invidious intent requirement and overturned a finding of invidious intent, and the Voinovich case held that, the voting right, that Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act neither compels nor uh, forbids the creation of majority-minority districts.
7: But uh, so, <clears throat> so uh, uh, the Attorney General said that the, that the Voting Rights Act required a second district.
8: No, Justice White, that's not what the Attorney General said. What did he say? The Attorney General objected to the State's first plan, yes. saying that I am not convinced that the state has carried its burden of persuading me that the state's first plan did not have some kind of discriminatory purpose. And the Attorney General, in explaining why he reached that conclusion, that the state had failed to carry its burden, explained, among other things, that I believe it would be possible to create a second majority minority district. And, um, I'm concerned that that may be evidence.
7: And in, unless you do, you violated the Voting Rights Act?
8: Uh, that's not the legal meaning of the Attorney General's objection letter. I thought you said that was at least implicit in it. It certainly is. Implicit in the Attorney General's <laughs> letter is, certainly is a suggestion that a second majority-minority mi- district will go a long way towards meeting my concern, because my concern is based in part on the fact you didn't create one.
3: Of course, you didn't have to accept his concern. You don't have to. I mean, the, the, the Civil Rights Division of the Justice Department isn't, isn't the last word in this thing, is it?
8: Absolutely not, Justice Scalia.
3: You, you could have gone to the, to the uh, uh, District Court in the, in the District of Columbia to, to say this is wrong. Yes, Your Honor. But you chose not to. We certainly we did. And I don't think you should rely on the Justice Department. You, you chose to do it. Uh, uh, you, you took the easy way out, I suppose you could say, but I'm not sure that that gives you a good faith defense.
8: Uh, Congress has created a statutory scheme under which it is up to the state to decide which route to take in seeking preclearance. The state here chose the uh, Attorney General's administrative preclearance route. The Attorney General objected.
3: He said no, and you were entitled to go somewhere else. He we chose were, not to.
8: And we submit that we were entitled, uh, in fact, to go back to the Attorney General and to attempt to meet his objections.
3: Well, yes, but don't you...
7: Uh, suppose you had turned some, uh, decided that uh, you didn't want a second, uh, second district. And and the legislature, uh, uh, I'll put it this way, what does a plaintiff have to prove to show that the state has violated the Voting Rights Act in in redistricting? Do they have to prove a discriminatory intent?
8: Under Section 5, Justice White, I'm not sure. Uh, Under Section 2, you'd go through the Jingles pre-clearance. Yes, yes. Under Section 5, I'm not sure a a private right of action exists. Mm -hmm. A constitutional claim in this context would have to include a claim of invidious intent, as this court has traditionally used that concept. That's one of the things that's lacking in this case. The plaintiffs have not alleged, indeed the district court below said they could not plausibly allege that the General Assembly chose this plan because it would impose an adverse impact on white voters or indeed any other racial group.
0: Well, but uh, certainly some of our cases have simply said that an intent to classify on the basis of race, the Croson case, for example, is subject to strict scrutiny. Now, not that it's automatically out, but that it's subject to strict scrutiny.
8: Yes, Mr. Chief Justice. But the Croson line of decisions is distinct from this Court's own vote dilution, race-based vote dilution cases, White against Register, Rogers against Lodge, and so on. Those cases which set out the test to be applied in this context uh, instruct the trier fact to look for invidious intent.
0: Those were decided before Crows, then, right? They...
8: Uh, that's correct, Your Honor. We believe that they uh, continue to be valid. As recently as 1986 in Davis against Bandimer, uh the political gerrymandering case, seven justices of this court expressly reaffirmed the validity of the, the effects prong and the invidious intent prong. Well,
7: didn't you the say fact. earlier in your remarks that your defense is the Voting Rights Act?
8: Our defense is that the state's purpose here was compliance with the Voting Rights Act, that what the state, what the Attorney General implicitly... What did the Voting Rights Act require that, that uh, <clears throat> led you to think you, that,
7: that you should have a second uh, uh, minority district?
8: The Voting Rights Act... And
7: don't talk about the Attorney General, just talk about the Voting Rights Act.
8: The Voting Rights Act requires the state to demonstrate an absence of invidious intent and an abs- absence of retrogressive effect. That's a procedural requirement. The burden lies on the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, this court has re- approved in a series of cases going back 20 years the use of majority-minority districts. In and districts did
7: the, and like did the uh, Voting Rights Act therefore uh, uh, <clears throat> sort of uh, incorporate uh, the constitutional tests?
8: Certainly. Uh, you violate uh, Section 5 if you have the invidious intent uh, necessary to violate the Constitution.
5: So if this, if this... Were a state that were not covered by the Voting Act, Voting Rights Act, uh, would a state legislature be free, as a matter of policy, to draw a district such as this one?
8: We'd have a very different case. The answer would depend on the application of Section Two. In appropriate circumstances, Section Two, in order to avoid vote dilution, as in the Jingles situation, might require majority-minority districting.
2: Well, but take Justice Kennedy's uh, question just one step further. Supposing just as a matter of policy, forgetting the Voting Rights Act, soon no Voting Rights Act, could the state constitutionally decide that when t- if 20% of the population is of a particular race, that it would be good policy to have two districts in which that race uh, represented a majority of the, pop- of the uh, voters in the district?
8: No, Justice Stevens. However, something very close to
2: that... What, why? It- why? Why would, what would make it unconstitutional?
8: That there would not be an appropriate basis on which to, to make use of the racial classification. This court, in a number of opinions, well, members of this court, in a number of opinions, have suggested that where the state confronted a problem with racially polarized voting, that the state might be able to uh, use uh, race-conscious redistricting to address that. Uh, but that's not this case. The determining fact in this case is that North Carolina is subject to Section 5 preclearance, It met those affirmative obligations in ways that have been recognized repeatedly.
5: Well, just sticking for a moment with the hypothetical of a state where the Voting Rights Act is inapplicable to the Section 5, um, the uh, only justification for a district of this kind, then, is that there was racially polarized voting?
8: Section 2 might require a state to use majority minority districts, Justice Kennedy, in order to avoid vote dilution of minority voters.
5: So that a state that has racially polarized voting uh, under the Voting Rights Act, as you are uh, interpreting it, is required to employ methods which will continue racially polarized voting?
8: One hopes not, uh, Your Honor.
5: But I thought that was the logical conclusion from your answer.
8: Only if the consequences of drawing majority-minority districts is to perpetuate perpetuate, uh, racially polarized voting. That's a question which we believe Congress has considered and addressed by amending Section 2 to incorporate the results test.
5: So if a a district would uh, either perpetuate or increase the possibilities of racially polarized voting, then the district uh, uh, cannot be drawn consistently with the Constitution based on race?
8: The state doesn't act free, if I understand the question correctly, the state doesn't act free of federal voting rights legislation. And so that even if Section Five were not applicable, the state would a conscientious state legislature would have to meet the requirements of Section Two. <laughs> Section Two may, depending on the particular demographics and the situation of the state, require majority-minority districting. But once again, that's not this case.
3: Mr. There's- Powell, can uh, this this District 12 is a highly irregular shape. I guess
5: you
4: agree with that. Yes, Your Honor. In places only as wide as a highway, and stretching virtually the length of the state. Um, do you think that a district such as that could be, in and of itself, uh, some evidence of an invidious intent?
8: Yes, Your Honor, it could be. In a case where plaintiffs were alleging that there was a variance between the state's purported purpose and its real purpose, which actually was the case in, uh, in Voinovich, I believe, uh, that might be probative of the existence of this covert intent. There's no dispute here over what the state's purpose is. There's a dispute over how to characterize it legally. We're not in disagreement over what the state legislature was trying to do. You think
7: the Constitution forbids a state, as a matter of policy, to have proportional representations between the various races?
8: No, Your Honor. I may have misspoken myself. You you Uh, think
7: the state is permitted to do that? The state would have to have a proper basis. I'm not sure that the Well, a proper basis is we think there ought to be proportional representation. Uh, what's the name of the case that, uh, uh, that I think I wrote the opinion Gaffney in, against Cummings. I think I, I, think I wrote, the, wrote the opinion in the Connecticut case.
8: Gaffney against Cummings. Yes. In Gaffney, the court suggested in... Um,
7: well, we held that it was all right to, to give proportional representation to
8: Democrats and Republicans. You certainly did, Your Honor. Uh, and the court suggested that the same thing would, uh, that this court has no warrant to overturn state attempts to ensure some kind of rough correspondence between numbers of voters and representation. But that's not, that's not the basis, primary basis on which we rely. Well,
3: and, and you're asserting that the case, that the state, a state can do that for race too, and, and could say, we well, you know, we have 60 uh, percent one race, 30 percent another, 10 percent another, we're, we're going to draw our districts to make sure that everybody gets his, uh, his proper uh, proportion of the action. That is constitutional, you think?
8: We think nothing in our position requires us to hold
3: a view on that. I, I, I'm sure it doesn't, but, but you, you seem to be taking that position. Well, you've
0: taken yes. two different positions.
3: Well, it doesn't. the Constitution doesn't require you to do
7: it,
8: but does it permit you to do it?
3: That's what I'm asking. Does it permit you to do
8: Gaffney it? Gaffney against Cummings and other cases suggested done.
3: Did that deal with race?
8: Gaffney dealt with race and dicta. Pardon? Gaffney dealt with race and dicta.
3: It didn't deal with race, in other words.
8: The holding was not about race. It was politics.
5: But your position is is that proportional representation could be adopted by race, could be adopted by a state as a matter of policy quite consistently with the commands of the Constitution?
8: Consistently with this court's cases interpreting it, yes, Your Honor. That's not this case. The the state's purpose here, the state did not have an independent policy of racial proportionality. The state's policy here was to meet uh, the one person, one vote requirement, to satisfy the uh, exigent requirements of uh, the Federal Voting Rights Act and otherwise to uh, satisfy other state concerns. The state here was not pursuing an independent policy of racial balancing or anything of the sort. And we think in the end that's what the case is about.
5: For 20 years, this court... Has you think in the end that that's permissible?
8: What the state did here, yes, Your Honor. For 20 years, this court has approved majority-minority districting as an appropriate response to the state's obligations under Section 5. We believe the cases that... Uh,
2: You know, I'm still not entirely clear uh, what what your position would be if you did everything exactly the same and there were no Voting Rights Act. Would it be constitutional or unconstitutional?
8: It would would not. The plaintiffs would not have stated a claim. They do not allege that the state acted in
0: order to harm a racial group. The answer is
2: it would be constitutional constitutional. even if there were no Voting Rights Act.
0: But Mm -hmm. I I thought you answered Justice Kennedy's question to the same effect. uh, Exactly the opposite. I'm sorry,
8: Mr. Chief Justice, I may have misspoken.
0: Well, which, on which case did you misspeak? <laughs> uh,
8: Justice Stevens's hypothetical is one in which the plaintiffs would fail to state a claim and the, court, the state's action would be constitutional. Ca- this case, in the end, is about the state's compliance with the Voting Rights Act. The case is, this is not a case in which the state invokes a defense or an immunity to protect itself uh,
3: in in our cases have held that you could do this to remedy a violation of the act you haven't established that there was a violation of the act which could only be remedied by this all you've established is that, that the state rather than going to the DC court uh, uh, accepted the attorney general's uh, determination that the easy way to get this thing done would be to drop it on a second district I don't know how that has any remote resemblance to our cases that, that say where you've been in violation you can do this to eliminate the violation
8: With respect, uh, Justice Scalia, we don't read the cases uh, to hold that. We think that in a variety of cases, including the city of Fort Arthur, this court has uh, insisted on or permitted uh, states to use or make changes in their electoral laws, including majority-minority districting, in order to carry their burden of demonstrating compliance with Section 5.
7: Well, Section 5, I think, uh, I thought we agreed uh, the test under Section 5 is really equivalent to to the constitutional
8: well, there, there are two tests. There's the intent test, which is yes. constitutional. Uh, Section 5 also forbids retrogressive effect. Mm-hmm. In the end, this case is about the Voting Rights Act. <clears throat> At least up to this point, the plaintiff's argument has been a pure argument that race consciousness is invidious and unconstitutional. Section 5 and Section 2, as amended, both authorized and in appropriate circumstances require race consciousness and governmental decision-making uh, unless those provisions of the statute are unconstitutional, the plaintiff's claim is incorrect. We leave this court's decisions of upholding the act, uh, the act's constitutionality are correct, and the district court below should be affirmed. Mr. Chief Justice, no further questions?
0: Thank you, Mr. Powell. Mr. Needler? Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice,
4: and may it please the court. It is the position of the United States in this case that the State of North Carolina was permitted to take race into account in order to ensure that its redistricting plan complied with the Voting Rights Act. Several features of the Voting Rights Act will effectively require a State to do so in certain circumstances. For example, the effects test under Section 5, which this Court uh, sustained in City of Rome, uh, requires a State to ensure that a districting plan not have a retrogressive effect. On minorities, which will require a state in order to ensure that its plan will comply, uh, to look at the ra- racial composition of the district. The same is true under the results test in Jingles, in which a court, in order uh, to, uh, in which a state, in order to guard against or to, to create uh, assurance against uh, vote dilution, will have to evaluate the racial composition of its districts. Is None it, of those cases the-
0: involved the constitutionality of the Voting Rights Act itself, did it?
4: But in this court's court's decision in the United Jewish Organizations, uh, the the court faced uh, essentially the the same situation we have here. The facts were slightly different, but the essential thrust of that decision we think controls here, and that is that where a state is acting in an effort to comply, in good faith effort to comply with the Voting Rights Act, uh that it, that in doing so uh the state does not at the same time violate the very amendments that the voting, right, voting rights act uh is designed to enforce and constitutionally designed to enforce uh, under this court's but, but
0: sir, that uh UJO didn't uh there was no challenge to the constitutionality of the Voting Rights Act there was the court there? the court treated the well, challenge was there or wasn't there? There was
4: I, I I well not in so many words, but the but the, the uh Justice White's opinion of uh, For various justices, treated the challenge to the state's efforts to comply with Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act as a challenge to the Voting Rights Act itself. Because if the state's efforts to comply were unconstitutional, uh, and those efforts were were required by statute, then the Act of Congress was necessarily uh, unconstitutional. Now, in this case, the basis for the. It was just a plurality opinion, wasn't it? Uh, Well, that's true, although there, there were two concurring. Uh, justices who, who would green, have taken agreeing on what you just said, uh, taking taking an even broader position that any any efforts to comply with the Voting Rights Act, even if the Attorney General's interpretation was not authorized, yeah. uh, would negate uh, invidious intent.
5: In this case, is to it a the the extent- policy, Mr. Needler, of the Justice Department and of the United States to encourage racial block voting? It is not.
4: Uh, but as, as this court has said, it is. Is, is, is it a policy to discourage it? Uh, Yes, uh, although the, the, the Voting Rights Act is premised on the unfortunate fact that racial block voting occurs. And where racial block voting occurs, the result can be, as this Court has recognized, the dil- dilution of minority votes and to that extent the abridgment of the, of the right to vote that was supposed to be secured by the 15th Amendment. We did indeed fight a civil war, uh, Over these issues, about 100 years after the Civil War, Congress determined in 1965 that the business of the Civil War was not done and that uh, various efforts were used either intentionally or not to discourage blacks from registering and then to dilute their vote. In this case, uh, is it a plausible assumption
5: that racial block voting is, A, encouraged, and B, is the explicit premise for the design of this district?
4: Well, I... I as to the latter, I think, I think it's pretty clear that it's the premise, in fact, I think it's the premise of of appellants' challenge in this case, because their claim of injury uh, as white voters must be premised on the fact that, that voters will vote, uh, that, there will be, that there will be racially polarized voting, or otherwise the injury of which they complain wouldn't occur. Beyond that, this court's decision in Jingles uh, affirmed district court findings of, of what were referred to there as severe racial block voting. So it, in North Carolina, uh, 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 that was indeed the case, and, uh, in fact, in this case, uh, the, uh, uh submission to the Attorney General indicated that, that there was still a, a, substantial basis for that, for that concern. Now, as, as to the, uh, I'm sorry, the, the first part of your question I think went to the, whether that was the purpose or to encourage it. I don't think there's any indication that it was the, was intended to encourage. But where, where, where a government, be it, uh, federal or States. The whole
3: thing wouldn't succeed unless, they, unless the block voting occurred.
4: Right, but if it doesn't succeed, then the, then, then the, the harm that appellants are most concerned about is, is really not present. But the, the, voting, rights, the voting Rights Act uh, addri- specifically addresses the problem not, at, not of individual discrimination against not only of individual discrimination against individual blacks but the, the fear that a state either intentionally or through uh, setting up districts that in concert with private behavior will have the effect of di- diluting the black vote. And where you have racially polarized voting and a minority is submerged in a, in a majority white district, that will be the effect. And Congress determined that full effectuation of the voting rights protected by the 15th Amendment uh, required that that, be, uh, th- that that be addressed as well. And this Court, in Jingles and in Beer and other cases, has applied the Voting Rights Act uh, on that that, uh, premise. And we do not believe that the uh, principle of a colorblind constitution requires a state to be blind to the fact that its citizens regrettably may vote along racial lines and to take take account of the fact that its own redistricting plans. Niedler,
2: what is your position that what if the state of North Carolina motivated by precisely the same considerations you've just described adopted this program on its own without there being a Voting Rights Act?
4: We have not taken a position. We, what is uh, your position? Uh, there would be much to be said for the state's ability to do that if there was... Uh,
2: uh, Just the same facts that you have that motivated the United States.
4: No, I, th- I think there would have to be, for a state to do it without the Voting Rights Act, there would have to be a basis in racial block voting for that, because the state would have to be addressing and this was the, the premise of a portion of the opinion in UJO, it would be, have, to, have to be a premise of some discriminatory conduct going on that the state would address. Uh, and so to that extent, it would, be, it would be something of the same motivation that, this, that Congress had for enacting the Voting Rights Act. Uh, I wanted to address one point and, here. And
2: you say that would or would not be permissible constitutionally?
4: Uh, I think it would be uh, permissible constitutionally if the state were addressing racial block voting. Um, which would would be, in that respect, addressing private discriminatory conduct. The Attorney General in this case did not require two districts. What the Attorney General said is that the state had failed to carry its burden of proving the absence of discriminatory purpose because the state's proffered reasons for rejecting a second majority-minority district appeared to be pretextual. This court has upheld in Katzenbach versus South Carolina the shifting of the burden of proof to the state to demonstrate that its plans are free of racially discriminatory purpose or effect.
3: As I understand your argument though, Mr. Needler, you're not relying on the fact that the Attorney General turned this plan down. You, you'd, be, you'd be making the same argument if the state had done this on its own before submitting it to the Attorney General.
4: That's correct. States should be encouraged, far from being suspect, states should be encouraged to conduct their districting in a way that comes into compliance with the Voting Rights Act, Section 2 and Section 5. Although in this case, the Attorney General's uh, objection letter furnished the state with a pretty firm basis uh, for doubt as to whether it could carry its burden if it chose, for example, the alternative to go to court, the state could legitimately believe it would have trouble carrying its burden, approving an absence of discriminatory purpose. Uh, so clearly the basis for the Attorney General's objection or the state's concern in this case, a fear that the burden could not be carried was, was an authorized interpretation by the Attorney General. The Attorney General is required to object, where where the state cannot carry its its burden in that respect. And so it it is permissible for a state to take into account that it can't carry the shifted burden that this court sustained in in Katzenbach versus South Carolina, and and therefore to devise another plan that will meet the Attorney General's concerns, or the concern in Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act uh, as such, uh, that uh, that plans be free of uh, racial discrimination. And we think it is the existence of the Voting Rights Act, in this case, in Congress's uh, thorough examination of the need for the Voting Rights Act periodically that distinguishes this setting from the cases in which the Court has required strict scrutiny. This Court has recognized that the Voting Rights Act was a a drastic remedy in Section 5 preclearance setting, for example, to address the pernicious uh, evil of, of voting discrimination, and rather than require case-by-case adjudication, Congress determined, and this Court held validly determined, that it was necessary to adopt uh, broader measures to prevent, to hedge against purposeful discrimination. And uh, it's Thank on you, that Mr. basis. Thank you. Uh,
0: Mr. Everett, you have three minutes remaining.
1: Let me respond first to the last remark by Mr. Needle, Mr. Chief Justice. Chief Justice. <clears throat> uh, the... The position seems to be that if the Voting Rights Act authorizes something, then it is uh, automatically uh, valid. And uh, that might be the case in some situations, but we would submit not in a situation that is involved here. Moreover, it's our contention that the Voting Rights Act did not cause this conduct. Uh, that it was done by misinterpretation, and it was done by misinterpretation on all sides, that the Voting Rights Act leaves the uh, parties free to choose districts other than majority-minority districts, that there's no compulsion, no authorization to have a majority-minority district. Now, a complaint very basically sets forth in uh, in the jurisdictional statement that we're complaining of a quota system, of a proportional representation, which was, in fact, being forced upon the Congressional delegation and uh, therefore the questions that were asked uh, of uh, Mr. Uh, Powell are particularly appropriate because that's exactly what it was to have a quota of a certain number of members of Congress of a particular race. We find no authorization for that in any of the jurisprudence of the court and the result of doing that
3: Indeed, it's prohibited in the uh, the Voting Rights Act itself.
1: Uh, Section 2 has a specific proviso. So we maintain that it is not authorized by the Congress, that it is not authorized by the Constitution, that the result is to produce the type of distortion that was reflected in the map and to produce a process that is inimical to all the ideals of the 14th and 15th Amendment. And indeed,
2: of Article 1, Section 2, and accordingly, we submit that the. May I ask you just one one question? If you do have a moment, what if, uh, say, a city like Chicago decided to create a certain number of of wards where the Polish vote would control? Would your would your standard be different?
1: Uh, I would think it would be. I don't think
2: uh, races are the same. Uh, so in the city, ethnic- they could have one rule for the. Polish-Americans and a different rule for the African-Americans.
1: Well, I, th- I would say that race is a stereotype which is so much... Meeting
2: Polish-Americans is not a stereotype.
1: Uh, also, actually, in the Chicago situation, they're living in neighborhoods. It would probably be a situation of an actual community of interest. I don't think anybody has ever the said... Blacks that Blacks he-
2: tend to live together. The Polish-Americans tend to live together in Chicago. I, if I may
1: finish simply the answer to this, I don't think anyone has ever said that one Polish-American necessarily... Does like another Polish American. There's not the stereotype, which is what we're complaining of, the stereotype that one black thinks exactly like another and should be represented by another.
0: Thank you, Mr. Everett. The case is submitted.
1: <clears throat>